0: And uh, so we're we're looking at Psalm 123. It's four verses today, uh, but we're going to read it, pray, and begin. But Psalm 123, it says this. It is an, it's another of the songs of ascent. It says, "To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to find the or look to the hand of their master." as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Let us pray. Father God, we just come before you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to praise your name today. God, we just give you the glory. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises of your word. And God, I pray that today, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Again, we are Grateful to look at this text today. Uh, Colonel um, Chaplain Bob Jenkins had just finished a morning devotion uh, in the office of the Secretary of Defense in the Pentagon on September 11, 2001, when he heard a very deep boom. He immediately rushed to the crash site, put on a surgical mask and gloves and led a rescue team into the deep scar cut out of the earring. He prayed with survivors, ministered to fellow soldiers who were grieving over fallen comrades. He offered prayers over body bags, honoring the dead. And then you almost have to admit as a pastor or anyone who is a Christian who maybe becomes a little envious of Bob because of this conversation, because we all might wish that we could be there doing what he did, jumping into action when the moment happened. And honestly, we can't maybe think of a better scripture to describe the world's reaction to the attack on America than Psalm 123. Now, the first thing that people did after the initial shock was, what can I do? People sent money, they reported to blood banks, they organized rallies, they put out flags. Some even joined the military and went to New York and Washington, D.C. to help. Many prayed for the first time in a long time. Because here we have a cry to God that begins with a desire to serve. Verses 1 and 2. This desire to serve. Which leads to a call for God's mercy. Verses 2 and 3. And it concludes with a need for recovery, verses three and four. So I want to get into it in that way. I want to break it down in that way today. But I want us to look at this because the author of this psalm is in a society where it was common to have servants. It was common for others, for some to serve others. And as we grow in our faith, we acquire this unnatural skill, and that is a desire to serve others. If you have a desire to serve others, you're growing in God, honestly. It's not natural to, to man, for some reason, to serve others. It's more natural to want to be served than to serve. It's more natural for us to sit back and say, serve me. God urges us to take the role of Jesus. That's why in the New Testament, we see Jesus taking that role as a servant, but you see so many others condemning him for it. See, a servant's attitude begins by looking up. The servant's attitude begins when we pray. Do we ask God to use us? Do we report for duty in some ways? Are we coming to God saying, God, take me. I, I am yours. I am your servant. See, when we think about that and we think about the conversation, you know, it's, it's kind of like the man that showed up, uh, you know, you hear a lot of times, especially with military stories. Um, I don't know why I've been on a military kick lately, but you you hear about guests that are arriving and an officer, uh, you know, I, guests arriving at like a military ball. And, and I heard a story once of a, an officer who was opening the door and an arriving guest thought that the officer was just a doorman. And um, this guy's standing by and, and, and the guy hands him his bags. And sometimes we order God around forgetting that he's the master. We are to live for him, not the other way. God doesn't exist for our pleasure. Just a reminder. But the psalmist begins with this upward look. I lift up my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven, verse one. And the occasion for this prayer was opposition. The enemy forces were attacking. The writer of this psalm had no place left to look but to God. That's something we need to remember today. And maybe we feel that way ourselves in the world we're in today. The writer had no other place than to look but to God. And we look up to God, not maybe geographically, but figuratively. We know that God is maybe not in the sky, sitting on a cloud, but we look beyond the confines of this planet. We look past the hindrances and the borders and the box that we put him in, and we call out to God because we recognize that God is transcendent. We recognize that God is greater than us, that he is above us, but not distant. Now, what do I mean not distant? Who is closest to God might be a good question. Well, anyone that prays is close to God. Anyone who is praying in this moment is closer to God. Prayer is as close as we can get. We can pray anywhere. There are 15 psalms of ascent that were prayed on the road while they journeyed to Jerusalem. We've talked about this a few times now that we are in the 123, which takes us through some of these. these psalms of ascent. God wasn't confined to a physical location. There are two realms, the material and the spiritual. And as we deal with this, God is a spirit. God is immaterial. He is not a material thing. We can't fully define him. We can't fully comprehend him. We can't fully package him. We can't understand him, but we can trust him. To look up is a posture of servitude. That's why we use that reference quite often. When we say look up to God, we are saying look up because he is your master. He is your role model. He is the one you look up to. It's a posture of servitude. We look up to those who are over us, our leaders. We, we look up to them It's it, 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 like it's a ladder, or whatever, but we look up to those who are over us. Verse 2 then makes a comparison here. Verse 2 compares these things. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God. Servants had to be watchful. They had to be awaiting a command. So you've seen some of these old videos where you have a maid servant or a butler, and you've got the master of the home, you know, raising the hand, clicking like this, motioning for someone to come over. What is that? That is the sign they were expected to be alert, observant, and respond quickly to a subtle gesture to a need that needed to be done. They were ready to anticipate the master's every need. And in the same way, that is how we should be when it comes to God. We should be so tuned into God that we are sensitive to his commands, that we are sensitive to his leading in our lives, that he leads by circumstance, by the counsel of others, his word, and the impressions The Holy Spirit makes upon our heart. That is how God leads. And it's those subtle hand gestures that a master makes to a servant. You know, that little thing. That is the way God works in us. Romans, Paul urges us in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. This offering of self to God could also be translated as a reasonable service when we serve God. Our efforts are an act of worship. Everything we do under God is an act of worship. Our service is this natural overflow, this natural outgrowth of a spiritual change that takes place within us. Faith produces service. Faith in us produces service service. God isn't looking for our ability. Now hear me. God is not looking for our ability. God is looking for our availability. God's not looking for you to be able. He's looking at you to be available. He will equip you to serve him. He will show you what he wants you to do. Our job is to be submissive and to surrender ourselves Our plans, our priorities, all of those should be pushed to the side for God and his purposes. I don't write the book. I I just read it. Have you ever had a friend who talks about a job as a calling? I I mean, I know if you've talked to me before, I've said those words that maybe um, it's it's an ordained thing. Of God, um, maybe an ordained plumber, so to speak, natural mechanical ability. Believes God gives you this gift to be used for His glory, and you're in charge of maintenance of the church, and something that you regard as a privilege. Any of you who serve the church because you feel God has called you to do it and you have the ability to do it, then. It should be a joy to you. It shouldn't be a hindrance. You know, uh, an assistant minister, an associate pastor uh, in the army, a chaplain's assistant, uh, you know, they enable the minister to do what needs to be done. Um, The army chaplain's assistant would assist in ministry by praying with soldiers. By distributing scripture, by doing informal counseling, Um, they enable the ministry through logistical support. So does the support staff of a church. And when an assistant is or when a chaplain is called, they always take their assistant with them uh, in, in the army. And they go to a unit ministry team, and God has a plan for all of us, and we need to discover where we fit in, what what discipleship job, uh, what our discipleship job description is. Um, what is your job description within the kingdom? How generous are we in offering our service to the master, to God, to the to the leader of this of the whole thing? Many of us have undertaken this self-reflective project of preparing a resume, but when we get to that point, when we start to look for things, you know, you send your resume and you review your training, your skills, your experience, and how you might use those for the Lord, right? Is that what you do when you say no? You You look at your resume and you send it based on what the job requirements are. But maybe we should look at our resume, review it, and see how we can use those skills for the Lord. And when we realize that God gave us our abilities, we become more open to finding ways to use our talents for Him. Whatever abilities we may have, we utilize them in Christian service. Whatever abilities you have, you become available to use them for God. Which brings us to the second and third verse in the the conversation of mercy. Verse three, he says here in the psalm, the psalmist says, have mercy on us. When was the last time that you really asked God for mercy? The last time you really prayed for mercy in your life? You rush into God's presence with your laundry list of requests. You forget what you really need, and that is mercy. Mercy is our compassionate God, extending his love to us, enabling us to triumph over the death, the life and the death that we face in this world, enabling us to grow. Mercy is God's inclination to relieve the misery of the sinful nature of life. The misery that it brings on us, mercy will relieve that misery today. Mercy is the discretionary power to pardon or lessen a punishment. God had pity on us. Even though we didn't deserve mercy, he conferred his mercy on us. And to ask for mercy is to ask God for a blessing. It's to ask God to do what he's already done. Even though we know we don't deserve that divine favor, we don't merit that work of God in our lives, God doesn't treat us according. To where we are, he doesn't treat us according to our sin, but according to his plan. Remember, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the history of warfare, there have been armies that have been utterly merciless. They showed no peace, no mercy. You know, Cobra Kai, um, Karate Kid. The Cobra Kai was like no mercy. No mercy was part of that. Strike hard, strike fast, no mercy. And when we think about those things, it's it's a take no prisoner attitude. It's a no surrender attitude. It, somebody says, I surrender. And they say, no, you don't. See, the enemies of the psalmist are described as contemptuous. They're, they're, they're described as proud. They're described as arrogant. And if God wanted to, he would be justified in punish, punishing us all. Get that out. He he, he could show us no mercy. He could show us absolutely no mercy in these moments, but instead he offers mercy at its fullest. We experience God's mercy when we trust in Christ. When we trust in Christ, the author of Hebrews encouraged us to approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. Grace that will help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4.16, we need to entreat God. We need to call out to God and say, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. Just as the tax collector did when the Pharisee said, I thank you, I'm not like this guy. Remember? The blood of Christ satisfies the justice of the Father, enabling him to show us mercy. Christ shed his blood to give us the opportunity for recovery. That recovery is shown to us in verses three and four. We cry out for mercy. We cry out for hope. We cry out for opportunity. Many people affected by that attack on September the 11th of of 2001. Many people affected by the attacks on our nation now. Many people affected by what is taking place around the world right now. Trauma is any experience that appears to threaten our ability to carry on a normal life. Think about the pandemic. Think about what we are facing today. The overwhelming of our capacity to function is where we are. That is trauma. Crises expose the frailty of life. Crisis is when we face a crisis. It it, it exposes how fragile we are. The frailty of our life. Crises try our ability to cope. We feel powerless. We feel numb. We feel depressed. We fear that this experience has forever changed us. And as we long to return to the calmer, more normal times, the goal for us who, for as we suffer the after effects of trauma, is recovery, a return to normalcy. You know, there was a, a quote from a New Yorker who had seen the Twin Towers collapse, and many of us probably feel the same way, but said, in that moment, the world as I had known it was redefined. It was the beginning of the end of the way things once were. Trauma causes distress. It causes um, emotional wounds. It leads us to a place where we become prisoners of our pain. It's a hard place to be, folks. It is a hard place for us to be. It has been said for every sigh there's a song. Psalm 123 ends with a prayer for inner healing for those who have endured ridicule, those who have endured contempt from an arrogant enemy. The psalm teaches us to ventilate our pain through prayer. The psalms, plural, teach us to do that. They teach us to tell God how we're affected by the events. God is ready to restore balance. He's ready to bring stability into our lives. He can cleanse us and help us to move forward with him and move forward in life. Prayer helps us process the anguish and the grief that we are feeling. When we pray, it is our processing of the struggle we're in. When we pray this psalm specifically, Psalm 123, we become people who are no longer defeated by circumstances because we're looking beyond them to God. In his hand lies our destiny, and it's easier said than done. God holds us in his hand. What causes us to hesitate to trust God is that much of our life is lived between the time of His promise and His fulfillment. We live in between them. We're living in the middle and we don't know where we are. We are afraid of the outcome and we don't trust God. When the outlook seems bleak, when it seems bad, when it Seems like there's nothing left for us. Maybe we shouldn't do the outlook so much as the look up, the up look, that that look toward God, look up to our leader. Do we really expect God to intervene in our lives? This bias that keeps us from believing that God can make a difference that we face in this world today. Do we believe that today? Because see, faith helps us trust that the outcome, even when our present situation makes no sense, will be good and in God's will. Faith leads us to that belief today. All around us, there is fear. All around us, there is confusion. But we're not looking to the left or to the right. Like Peter, when he got out of the boat, he started walking on the water. What did Peter lose? He lost sight of Christ. He started looking left. He started looking right. He kept looking for the things that were stirring up around him. The things that were eventually going to cause him problems. He was looking at the things of the world, the material. But our eyes look to the Lord, our God. When we look up, when we look to him, when we look to Christ, our eyes look to him and our faith is restored. He renews us. He revives us. He gives us hope in him through that today. Verse four is beautiful. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Our soul has had more than enough of the ways of this world. Our soul has faced more than enough of the trials and the tribulations that this world has to throw at us. But our God is greater than it all. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. He also told us the world would hate us because it hated him first. There's contempt in the world. There's arguing in the world. There's trouble in the world. There's peace in Christ today. Do you know him? Do you know who he is? I love this song. And I think that we can expect Christ to interfere. We can't expect God to intervene in our lives because of our faith. What was it he said to everyone who came to him to be healed? You are forgiven. Your faith has made you well. It is the same formula for what we see in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, realize they have a problem, recognize the humility, become broken. Seek my face. Look for me. Find me. Seek me out. And turn from their wicked ways. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Then will I hear from heaven. Forgive their sin. Your faith has made you well. Go and sin no more. And heal their land. Go and sin no more. Your sin is forgiven. Your land is healed. Your your body. You have what you've looked for because you sought me with the right heart. Is that where you are today? I certainly hope so. Bear with us just for a moment. We're going to close in prayer. But if you have a decision to make, please make it today. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you this morning. We thank you that we have the opportunity, Lord, to serve you in a mighty way. God, bring us hope, bring us peace, bring us opportunity in you today. grant us wisdom, Lord, grant us comfort. God, as we cry out to you from the depths of where we may be in this world today, Lord, I thank you that you have given us peace. I thank you that you have given us hope and opportunity in you. And Lord, I cry out to you now on behalf of each of your children. Lord, help us to humble ourselves, to seek your face, to turn from the wickedness of this world. Lord, to humble and come humility or come in humility to you. Be broken. And seek you today. Lord, help us to cry out for mercy. Lord, that you would hear us. That you would forgive us. And that you would heal us, Lord. That is the the prayer we have today. That your mercy would do that. God, we thank you. We praise you. We give you the glory. And we bring honor to your name. Lord, guide us, lead us, and, and show us that glory today. Go with us. Pray this in your holy name. And again, we want to thank you for tuning in for our services here on our uh, podcast page. Thank you for listening and hope you had a blessed time with us. You can get more information on Newland Christian Church at newlandchristianchurch.com or go to our Facebook page facebook.com/newland Christian Church. And until next week, we hope you have a blessed week in the Lord.